So good to have you here with us this morning. Before I get into the message, I just want to say something that will hopefully will help you. Um, just as Madison was sharing his story and, and sharing your testimony and, and how awesome Kim is, um, I just wanted to share something with you. That in the kingdom, the key to success is obedience. We think because we look at the world system that success is outcomes. You're successful because of the outcomes. In the kingdom, success is obedience because God controls the outcomes. We control the obedience. God controls the outcomes. Are you hearing me? And so, so, so some of you need to shift your thinking a little bit and just be obedient and don't worry about the outcome. The outcome's not your responsibility. The outcome is God's responsibility, but obedience is our responsibility. And, um, and that's all he calls us to do, is to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be... Oh, where's all me old school people? <laughs> trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Yeah, we had cool songs back in our day too. Yeah? All right. Let's get into the message before it really goes to custard. Acts 2.42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching And to fellowship. We're going to take the next three weeks just looking at this piece of scripture, this one sentence of what what the early church, I've really felt God stir in my heart in February to really look at what the church is meant to be. Because I I significantly sense in my heart that, that, and and I include myself in that, that some of us. Pastors or, or the church, and, and, and we've done this too, is we've kind of got away from the fundamentals of what I think the early church was all about and the reason why it saw the explosion of growth and all the things that happened and the impact that they had in people's lives. And the, the Bible says this that the 12 disciples turned the world upside down for Jesus. And so I, I started to think because I just wasn't really happy with, with how I was pastoring, to be honest let alone how we were going as a church. And so I started to look into this, and I think there's a key thing here right at the start. They devoted themselves. I think that the mistake we've made in the church in the last decade is that we've devoted ourselves to chasing everybody that says that they're part of the church to make sure that they're in church, to make sure that they're actually saved, and to make sure that they're actually becoming disciples. Um, I think the key to following, one of the keys to following Christ is that they devoted themselves. They they didn't wait for a phone call. They didn't complain that they weren't getting pastoral care. They they didn't do any of that. They made a decision that they would devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, or they would devote themselves to pursuing Christ. And and you, you can't do this journey. You can't do the Jesus journey unless you devote yourself to it, Jesus put it this way. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, hey, I'll follow you up. He said, no, no, you follow me up. Jesus didn't have a, have a, have a follow up program. He had a come follow me program. 
Paul takes it a whole step further where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. In other words, what I do, you need to do, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. There's a, there's a sense of responsibility in the kingdom that I think that we've lost, where we're wanting everybody to chase us up, where the scripture says that it's our responsibility to chase him up to pursue Him with everything we've got, to devote ourselves to it. It requires an intentional decision to say, I'm going to do this. And I've heard people before say, even when it comes to serving in church and being involved in what God is doing, it's not that we, it's not that we, 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 we get to do this. And how exciting is it that we get to do this because we get to be part of what God is doing? You know, I kind of feel like that's almost manipulative. Because what we're really saying is that you should be excited about serving because you get to be part of what God is doing. I read this and it says, they want to do this. I don't think we should ever be saying to people, hey, you get to be part of this. I think the scripture teaches that you should want to be part of this. They devoted themselves. They wanted this for themselves. They pursued it for themselves. Are we okay so far? But he goes on, he says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And I, and I think this subject is hugely, hugely important because the New Testament church was birthed out of community, but it led into fellowship. It started as a community, but became a fellowship. And our journey and our walk with God is to dive into fellowship. And I say to dive into fellowship because fellowship is a deeper work than community. Community is basically this. People that want community unite or unify around a common interest. People that want community will unify around a common interest. They're, They're interested in that thing, and so they unify around it. It could be a rugby club. It could be a knitting club. Thank you, Leah, finally. There's a knitting club in our church. It sits in about the third to last row and happens every Sunday if you want to be part of it. I'm, I'm interested in being in a small group. I'm, I'm interested in being in a mountain biking club. I'm, I'm interested... And in, in also we can be interested in so many things which causes a community to be built around the interest. You can be interested in church, which creates a community that's built around being interested in church. And yes, yes, we should be interested, but our pathway, our journey, our walk with God cannot remain at a place of interest. It can't stop at a place of interest. And at some stage, We have to take the plunge. Why? Because we're actually all looking for fellowship. Every single person on the face of this planet is looking for fellowship. They're looking, and you'll understand why as we get there, but they're looking for more than just community. They're looking for more than just a group of people that have a common interest. They're looking for fellowship. And here's the problem with interest, or you could say curiosity about something, because curiosity in Jesus doesn't keep you out of hell. You can be curious about Jesus, but it doesn't save you. You can be interested in Jesus, but it won't save you. 
At some point, your curiosity, your interest has got to lead with fellowship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's when our life truly changes, when we come into fellowship with Him. And that's when you get to taste and see that the Lord is good because you're in fellowship with Him. You're not, you're not in community because you're interested in what He could or might do or could do for you but you're in fellowship with Him. Can you imagine if God was only ever interested in us? He's looking down and He's just going, you know, I'm kind of interested, kind of interested in what's happening in these people's lives, kind of interested in, in, in Saskia. I, I don't think a God who's just interested would ever send His Son to die. I, I don't think God was interested in us. I don't think God wanted community with us. I believe the scripture teaches that God wanted fellowship with us, that sin had separated us from God, and he knew that interest in us was not enough, that he had to make a sacrifice of his son to restore, not community, but to restore fellowship with him. Yes, he sent his son to die to take away our sin. But the main reason why he took away sin was to restore fellowship with you and with I and every other person that he has created in his image. It wasn't just to take away the sin of the world, but restore relationship and fellowship with us. That's why when he died on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in two because previous to him dying on the cross, there was a separation between us. Only the priests or the high priests could go into the Holy of Holies and have fellowship with God. But when Jesus died on the cross, he tore the curtain as a symbolic spiritual way of saying, hey, 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 now we can be in fellowship and anyone can be in fellowship with me. And we can come into his presence boldly because we are, we are not separated from him, but he has paid the price to restore relationship with us. And now we have access to God. And now you can have a relationship with God because in Christ, we're always led to fellowship with him. Not interest, but fellowship. Not community, but fellowship. The Bible says that in Christ, you and I in this room, we're, we're brothers and sisters. We're, we are the family of God. And for years, I've seen people just stay at the interest stage of church. They go to church, they know God. In other words, they have an interest in God and they kind of turn up and they tick the box, went to church this week, so I'm a good Christian, but they don't really know him. There's a reason why there's dust on the Bible. They can't really say I have fellowship with him. And here's the thing. Um, today's statistics tell us that regular attendance to church is once every four weeks. It's basically regular attendance. That's what statistics tell us these days. So if we take January and December out, because you've got to take at least two months of the year out, that leaves you with two, ten Sundays a year, which means that I've got five hours to try and change your life. You'd watch five hours of Netflix this afternoon. You, 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 can't, you can't do this thing at interest level. Are you hearing me today? We have to be in fellowship with him 
and in fellowship with one another. And I believe that every single person in this room longs for fellowship, longs for great friendships, for fellowship with one another. And, but all too often, what we tend to get is we just get community. And the problem with community is community is shallow. Community does not go deep. How do I know that community is shallow? Because we all live in a community. Who here lives in Pukekohe? You live in a community, yes? You have shared common interests with everybody that lives in this community, that our city council would do particular things to help our community, make sure that the water we drink out of our taps is drinkable. We have a shared interest in our community that we would see that happen. Everybody that lives in your community has accumulated interest of what is going on, and we are a community that has an interest in what happens where we live. But we're not in fellowship with everybody in our community. We're not in fellowship with our next-door neighbour. We might be in community because we have a shared interest, but we're not in fellowship with everybody. You see, community is a bunch of people that unify around an interest. Fellowship are people whose desire is to be unified around a common purpose. Community is people that are unified around a common interest. Fellowship are people that are unified around a common purpose. Are you hearing me? You see, fellowship comes from the Greek word, and I'm probably going to get this wrong. (laughs) Kanonia. Probably got it wrong. But that word fellowship in the Greek literally means common purpose. That they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, and that verse continues on, of believers. The common purpose of believers leading to a fellowship with Christ, the Holy Spirit, and one another. A common purpose. You see, fellowship is greater than community because community is all about an interest where fellowship is all about a common purpose. And we need to be people of fellowship because we have a common purpose. His name is Jesus, the Savior of the world. And we have a common purpose of wanting to see him become Savior of every single person that lives in our community so that we can have fellowship with them because we need to come together in common purpose. God has a common purpose. He is in fellowship with you because he has a purpose for your life. For I know the plans I have for you, Jeremiah 29. 11. We quote it all the time, but here's the key thing. I know the plans I have for you, not your plans, my plans that I have for you. I have a purpose, a common purpose for the church. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And and he has a common purpose that he's trying to bring about. That's why he sent his son, because he wanted fellowship with you, a common purpose of seeing you and I and everyone in our community in fellowship with him. And so there's a common purpose that should draw us to this place. Not an interest, but a common purpose.
1 John 1, 6 to 7 says this. Finally, he comes up with another piece of scripture. Says this. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, common purpose with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So the question we've got to ask ourselves is, are we building a community or are we building a fellowship? Are we trying to build a community or are we trying to build a fellowship of believers? A place that has a common purpose. You know what? It's actually both. It's community and fellowship because most people come through the doors out of interest, but we need to lean them towards fellowship. A people of common purpose, fellowship with Christ and the Holy Spirit. And you know what? It might be that you do start up a mountain biking group, and that's awesome. Or you might start up a knitting group, and that is awesome. Or you might start up a tea drinking group, and that would be awesome. Does that make up for all the offences I've caused over the last few weeks? There's nothing wrong with starting something or having something that starts off around a common interest, but it has to lead to fellowship. It has to go deeper. It can't stay at the common interest. It has to move towards fellowship. Why? Because that's the ultimate goal of what Christ is trying to do, that we'll be a people of common purpose. We may have a church of people that have similar interests, but not committed to the purpose. Community, but not fellowship. I think if anything COVID has done in the last two years, it's revealed that there are a whole lot of people that were in churches all over the world for community, but not for fellowship. They were there because they had a common interest, but they did not believe in the common purpose. You see, the crowds hung around Jesus like crazy, especially in the feeding of the 5,000, yeah? I mean, who wouldn't want to hang out with him? One, you don't have to cook, you don't have to do the dishes, and you get fed for free. It's like, this is like the ultimate, yes? Any parent in this place loves any time that you don't have to cook or do the dishes. Okay, the one or two. The rest of you obviously love cooking and doing the dishes. God bless you. But as soon as he got to in John 6, where he's calling them to a deeper relationship to fellowship, the Bible says this, a bunch of them all turned around and said, whoa, 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 hold on a sec. What you're asking of us is too great. And they all started to leave him. And then he turns to his disciples and he goes, hey, you guys want to go too? You can leave too if you want. You see, people more than happy to hang around Jesus while there's a common interest of a free feed. But the minute he calls them to common purpose, a bunch of them walked away. The disciples had fellowship with Jesus. They were together for a purpose. They heard the call. 
They heard him say, come follow me. They chose to follow Jesus. And when he left them, they continued to follow Jesus and turn the world upside down, starting and building the kingdom of God. Why is this so important for us to understand? Because right now in this day, in our time, statistics tell us all over the world that church attendance numbers globally on average are down 30 to 40% pre-COVID. That there's a whole lot of people that were part of churches all over the world prior to COVID that have all walked away. And, and you can ask the question, like, what does it mean? And I've asked this question, is, is, is God separating the goats from the sheep, the weeds from the wheat? Is that what's going on here? that we see numbers like this all in every church across our nation, across the world? Is that, is that what's going on here? Or have people realised that they simply have only been interested in community and never intended to get deeper and therefore never wanted fellowship in the first place? So it's been very easy for them in this season to just go, oh, I've lost interest. And therefore I've lost community because I wasn't really in fellowship. You see, you can easily move from one community to another. We all do it all the time. We used to live in Manarewa 15, or just about 15 years ago. It wasn't hard for us to leave that community to come to this community. <laughs> We, we shift communities all the time. It wasn't hard for us to shift from the Pukekohe community to the Pukano community. We shift communities quite easily. But when you're in fellowship, that's a lot harder. See, I, I can shift suburbs around here, but I can't shift from here. Because I'm, I'm not in community. I'm in fellowship. Because it's a common purpose. It's hard to shift when you're in fellowship. That's a whole different story. And if there's one thing that I've seen, even talking to pastors in our community, and I get on really well with them. I get on, me and Daryl Booth, who's the Elam pastor, we get together at least once a month and have coffee and laugh and chat and Willem from Equippers and Tim Palmer from the Baptist. We're We're friends. Not so much friends when you play Willem on the golf course, because he's quite good. I tried to hit him with the driver in the back of the head, but that would be wrong. But we're friends. And there's people that have jumped around all over the place this year, from churches to church to church to church, all over the place. Why? Because they're just in community. It's really hard to shift when you're in fellowship. And by the way, we're not the perfect church. The, the moment this church became imperfect was the minute I turned up. <laughs> and then it got even worse when you turned up. <laughs> See, we're not called to a perfect church. We're called to common purpose. Come on. We're called to common purpose. Three things the Apostle Paul showed us that fellowship meant to him. 
It's found in Philippians 1, 3 to 11. It says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel, fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, since I have you on my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and maybe be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. There's three things in this that I want to pull out to show you what true fellowship looks like. But the thing that I find so fascinating about this is that Paul is writing this while he's in prison in Rome, awaiting his trial, awaiting his trial. And he is writing to the church of Philippi, who are miles away. And he's basically saying right there that our spiritual fellowship is real and it's satisfying, even though he's in Rome and they're in Philippi. He's saying, the fellowship I have with you, even though there's distance in land, there's no distance in spirit. And the first thing that he says is he says, I have you on my mind. In Philippians 1, 3 to 4, he says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you are making my prayer with joy. I think it's remarkable that he's saying here, even though I'm here in prison, I've got you on my mind. I'm thinking of you. I can't get you out of my head. Um, I'm thinking, he's thinking of others and not himself, even though he's currently in prison, awaiting a trial to see what's going to happen to him. But he says, I've got you on my mind. I'm in fellowship with you and I've got you on my mind. Why? Because we are partners in the gospel. We are in fellowship with the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Do, do you have people in your life that when you think of them, it brings you such joy? Because he's like in prison, and he's like, man, I've got you on my mind, and it brings me so much joy. Are there people in your life that when you think of them, it brings, them that kind, brings you that kind of joy. I, I, I'm proud of the church here, Revive. And every time I think of you or I speak about Revive when I'm away ministering in different places, it brings me so much joy. I, am, it bring, I cannot, even when I'm away, you guys are like, oh, he's away. I can't wait to get back. I love being here. Could you imagine if every time as a pastor, when I'm away and I think about the church, all it brought me was sadness, badness, and madness? I can't think of you that way because we're in fellowship. 
which means that when I'm away in Rome in prison, other churches, I remember you, and it brings me such joy. And when I'm away, I miss you. Is there anybody that you have in your life that you're in such deep fellowship with, common purpose with, that when you think about them, it gives you such great joy? Here's, here's a question for us to think about as well. Are you the kind of Christian who brings joy to other Christians when they think of you? Like when people think of you, do they like, man, man, Anna, oh, brings me so much joy. Or when they think of you, and they go, Anna Mun, and they think of you, and you go, oh, Anna Mun. Don't awe her. I'm the only male in the office. You should see what happens in there. I get attacked on a weekly basis. Some would say I bring it upon myself. But are you the kind of person that when others think of you, it's like, man, they bring so much joy to my life. I reckon there's way too many people in churches that if we're really honest with ourselves, that when we think of them, especially if we see them in the supermarket, all of a sudden, even though we don't have a pet, we're going down the pet food aisle. And don't look at me like I'm the only one because I know you all do it. You know those people when you're walking down the main street and you see them, you cross over and you go into Specsavers even though you don't need glasses. Come on. There's too many people like that. It should bring us great joy. Great joy. Great joy. I have you on my mind. The second thing he says is I have you in my heart. Philippians 1 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. How many people know that you can think about someone, but when you hold them in, their, in your heart, that's a whole deeper place? That's a whole nother level. You know, the thing is, is that it's possible to have people on your mind, but not have them in your heart. It's possible to think of people, but not carry them in your heart. In fact, I would suggest that most of us have observed over time that you're more on my nerves than you are on my heart. (laughs) But Paul is saying, hey, as I'm sitting here in prison, I'm thinking of you, it brings me so much joy, and I'm carrying you in my heart. That's not community, friend, That's, that's fellowship. That's common purpose stuff. And then he goes on and he says this, I, I have you in my mind, I have you in my heart, and I have you in my prayers. Philippians 1.9 says, in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And this is my prayer. Can I, can I ask you a question? And maybe, you're, maybe you, you're awesome at this. But when was the last time your prayer life was actually for someone else other than yourself? When was the last time you prayed purely for someone else and not for anything that you need? Well, Craig, at the end of worship today, when we prayed for the prayer requests. Great. But what about when you're at home? Every single night before Trinity and I go to sleep, we always pray together. Married couples, you should pray together. And I'm not talking for an hour. It's about 10 minutes. It doesn't have to be an hour. I don't know where we got this into our head. 
that real prayer has to be 60 minutes long, otherwise it's not prayer. I love what Smith Wigglesworth said. He says, I never pray more than 15 minutes and I never go more than 15 minutes without praying. So you just pray all the time during the day, 30 seconds, one minute, whatever. Just do it. It's just talking to God. Try, try your marriage where you only talk for 60 minutes a day. See how that goes for you. But we pray every night before we go to sleep, every night. And we always pray for you. Not for us, for you. I don't think, much, I don't think very often in any of our prayer is it prayers for us. Because I've learned something, that if we put others first in our prayer, God will take care of our needs. What we need to do is pray for the needs of others. I have you in my mind, I have you in my heart, and I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your needs. And what did Paul pray for the Philippian believers? First thing he prayed is that they might experience abounding love and discerning love. What does that mean, abounding love and discerning love? Because sometimes love can be blind, yes? Yes? You just have to look at newborn photos when they've still got the cone head. Isn't she beautiful? Yes, she is. Until the kind of cone head thing settles down again and then you're like, oh, she is beautiful. Yeah? Are you... Don't look at me like that. You all think the same. You know, you're so desperate when, you're, when your baby's born and you're like, let's get those first snaps. They don't look that great in the first few weeks. Wait until they've got a little bit of their cuteness going on, then get those first snaps. Some of you are like, oh, how could you say that? Because I'm real and you're just covering up because you believe the same thing. And the biggest mistake we make is to take all these photos of our firstborn and then second, third, and fourth all get forgotten. <laughs> and then it comes to the 21st, and you're like, oh, crap. <laughs> love can be blind at times, but Christian love is not blind. Christian love is not blind. The heart and the mind work together so that we have a discerning love and loving discernment. You see, Christian love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't ignore it. It just covers it so that it can be dealt with in a private way. It's a discerning love because it discerns that there's stuff there that needs to be dealt with, but it doesn't expose it. It's not blind to the faults of one another but it has an ability to discern it and love anyway. And Paul said to the Philippians here, he says, I want you to grow in discernment. Why? Because I need you to distinguish the things that differ and the things that really matter. I need you to grow in discernment so that when decisions are made in a fellowship of believers, rather than going, I don't like that, I don't like it. I don't like the decision the leaders are making. And that's cool. You, you don't have to agree with every decision that the leaders are making or the leadership of this church is making. You don't have to agree with every decision. But please understand this. Every decision we make is prayed through and we're doing the best course or the best decision that we believe to make. 
And guess what? We might get it wrong sometimes. I know any decision you make, you always get right. But sometimes we'll get it wrong. And I love in the book of Acts, when the disciples, when they'll make decisions about things, it was like this. It seemed good to them in the Holy Spirit, so they did. Sometimes we have to make decisions like, this just feels right. It doesn't make sense, but it feels right. And that's scary. Because we don't know the outcome. Are you, are you hearing me? We need to distinguish between the things that really matter. What really matters? What really matters in the kingdom? We just had nine weeks of what really matters in the kingdom. What really, really matters? Is it the music? Is it the lights? Is it the tea? Is it the coffee? What really, really matters? To distinguish what we should or shouldn't be worried about, because Paul goes on from there saying he also prayed that they might have mature Christian character. He says he is sincere and without offence. And I, I talked about offence last week, so I'm, I'm not going to get into that today. But, but it means this, that, that we don't, our lives don't cause others to stumble, for others to question what God is doing. We, we need to live unoffendable lives where we just, we don't cause, it's impossible to not cause offence, but live in such a way that we're not doing it on purpose. And when you are offended, you need to process it and deal with it and do it the right way. Why? Because offences are always going to happen, but we need the discerning love so that we can discern whether this is really important or not. And then Paul prayed this. He also prayed that they might have mature Christian service. He said in verse 11, he said, I want them to be filled and fruitful. See, Paul here is saying, I'm not interested in church activities. I'm interested in the kind of spiritual fruit that is produced when we're in fellowship with Christ. And the difference between spiritual fruit and human religious activity is that spiritual fruit brings glory to Christ. He says, I want them to discern about what really matters. I want them to live in such a way that they're not offended, and I want them to mature in their Christian service. I have you on my mind. I have you in my heart. I have you in my prayers. This, my friend, is the kind of fellowship that produces joy and it's a single-mindedness that produces that kind of fellowship where we are together around a common purpose. And so my question for you and I this morning, are, are we in fellowship? Are we in common purpose together? Are you in fellowship with Christ, the Holy Spirit, with one another? Or are we just in community? Are we just interested? Not really in fellowship. We're not come together and unified around a common purpose. My prayer for you would be this, as it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. My prayer for us is over the next three weeks that we would shift from a community of believers 
to a fellowship of believers. People that are unified around the common purpose of what Christ has called us to. And can I say this, as we have put together the story of the last hundred years of this church, there is a common purpose from 1922 all the way through to 2022. Do you know that this church, between the years of 1940 and 1960, planted 10 churches throughout this country? And so we get up and we share just before COVID hits in 2020, we've got a vision of 10 churches in 15 years. How awesome are me and Trinity? Yeah. And only to discover that it's always been the vision of the church. It's always been the purpose. We're just finally catching up with the common purpose of what God had planned for this church from the moment it was planted in 1922. There's a common purpose that God has and fellowship comes around the common purpose of God for this place, for your life, for our community. We can't afford to be people that are just in community here out of interest. We've got to be people that are here in a common purpose. Common purpose. Oh, what's God's will for my life? What's God's purpose for my life? To come together around the common purpose of what he's called us to do as a church. That's what his will is. That's what his purpose is. But we can't do that in community. We can only do that in fellowship. Why don't we just all close? Why don't we stand to our feet? I want you to close your eyes for a moment every single person, and I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I in community or am I in fellowship? Am I here because there's a common interest or am I here because I want to be in common purpose? And you know what can happen in church life or in life in general is that you can start off really passionate about something, but things can happen and stuff can take place and Sometimes you can be treated badly in church. It happens. And so it shifts from wanting to be part of fellowship to just, you know what, I'm just going to be in community because I, I don't, because I got hurt in that or I got hurt in this. And I'm sorry if you've ever been hurt here. And I'm sorry if you've been hurt in other churches. It's certainly never our intention here to see people hurt. And if you do get hurt, come and talk to us because. If you don't tell us what has gone on, then, then you're not helping us, but you're also not helping the next person that may get hurt because we're not perfect. Yeah. But if you're here and you're like, well, your eyes are closed and you're like, if you're really honest with yourself, you've been in community, but you're like, man, I, I want to shift to fellowship. I want to I shift to become a person that's unified around the common purpose of Christ then why don't you, every eye is closed. If you're here and you're like, Craig, would you pray for me that God would help me shift from a place of interest to a place of purpose? And why don't you just lift your hand up right now in this place? Awesome. Awesome. You can put your hand down. Father, we thank you for every single hand that's lifted in this place. Lord, that you would help us become people of common purpose, a people of fellowship with you, with the Holy Spirit, 
and with one another. Father, that we wouldn't be people that are just here because we're interested in you. We wouldn't be people that are just here because we're interested in others, but we'll be people because we're committed to the common purpose of Christ in this place, the common purpose of Christ in our community, the common purpose of Christ in our fellowship with one another. Father, I pray that you would transition, you would shift us, Lord, every single one of us from people of interest to people of purpose and that we would see a transformation take place in our lives personally, in the lives of those around us and eventually in the community that surrounds us because God, you're a God of transformation. And so Father, we commit ourselves to go on the journey of shifting into a place of fellowship in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Speaking of that, why don't you hang out? Don't go home straight away. Seriously, it's only 11.30, so it's not lunchtime yet. And, and also we've got coming up, what, what date is that? 21st. 21st of August, we've got Soup Sunday. You don't want to miss Soup Sunday. It's got a whole lot of soups and bread and stuff afterwards. It's going to be awesome. But we don't have soup today, but we do have coffee, and we do have tea, and we do have hot chocolate, and we do have each other. So why don't you stick around, get to know us, spend time with us. If you're new, don't forget to fill out the Live Connected card and drop that in, and we'll see you all next Sunday. God bless, and have a great, great week of purpose.